morning. Good morning. Get my glasses off. It's hard to believe that we're actually in the second month, almost halfway through the second month of 2024. You know, some people, I was just thinking, some people deny the existence of Jesus Christ. Some sort of say he was a myth. Some say he was just a good person. He was a prophet, whatever they say. But it's accepted right across the world that this is 2024. What happened at year one? The birth of a baby in a stable in Bethlehem. And now we are in 2024. So it doesn't matter whether people acknowledge him or don't acknowledge him. The reality is every day as they turn their calendar, they're acknowledging that Jesus Christ existed. So it's mind boggling. So is it any wonder that we as a church base our whole um, way of living on what this Bible teaches us? And that's why it is so important that what we are reading this morning is the words of Jesus Christ himself. Um, so we're reading from uh, Luke 13, verses 22 to 35. And actually, I was going to say, if you don't have a Bible, lift one, but I don't see any. Oh, there's some at the back. If you don't own a Bible, take it home with you. Anyway, let's read. He went on his way, that is Jesus, through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, say, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Father, 
I pray that you would fill Andrew with your Holy Spirit, that as he brings your word, it would challenge us to ensure that we are right with you, not because we deserve it, but only because of what your son has accomplished at Calvary for us. And if anyone hasn't accepted their need of Jesus as Savior, may this be the morning that you draw them to yourself because we know that if Jesus is lifted high, he has said he will draw all men to himself. So may that be the experience this morning. May your Holy Spirit really open our ears and open our hearts that we might hear your voice speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, if you if you're part of our church, you'll know that we've been in the in Luke's gospel for a while. And if you're visiting or you're new with us, then um, just to explain that we usually in villages take books of the Bible and, and we'll work our way through them, and, and that's what we're doing. We're persevering with Luke. Persevering. That sounds awful. It's actually great. Um, and uh, we're about halfway through this book. Um, and Barbara said, she, you know, Barbara mentioned that it's hard to believe that people deny the existence of Jesus. I find it hard. To, when people say to me that they don't like Christianity, but, but they like the teachings of Jesus. They like the things he has to say because he was a good teacher and he, um, you know, he pre- proclaimed tolerance and inclusivity and love. And, and, I, and I say, have you actually read what Jesus said? Because if you come to what Jesus says here today, it's not exactly inclusive and tolerant, is it? Um, this is one of a collections of teachings uh, that... Um, Theologians have a very fancy name for it. It's called the hard sayings of Jesus <laughs> um, because it's a hard saying. These are hard things that we have to, we have to uh, face up to. Essentially, Jesus is saying here in this passage that we just read that there is only one way to enter the kingdom of God. And apparently, religious people can miss that one way very easily. And if one does miss that only way into the kingdom of God, it leads to being separated from God forever. These are hard things, aren't they? Hard things that, that maybe shock us and maybe make us a bit uncomfortable, maybe squirm in our seats a wee bit. And there are many people, when they hear these things, that uh, they'll think, that's too exclusive. I, I'm not sure about this. It's not fair that there's only one way. But I heard a fictional story this week that I think helps illustrate this. So imagine there once was um, a fire crew, firefighting crew, and they got the 999 call. And they're called out to a burning office block, a big office building, and it's on fire. And the fire has been raging, it's intense, and the walls are starting to collapse, and the roof is starting to cave in, and they know there's people still trapped in the building. And one firefighter, he's desperate to go in and save everyone, and he sends his captain, can we go in, is there a way we can do it? And finally the captain agrees, I think we have a plan, we can get in here, and we can find the people that are, 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 are trapped. And so the firefighter works his way through the smoke and the gloom and the walls are collapsing and finally he finds this man and he's trapped in the corner of his office and the walls are starting to fall in. And he tells the man, you have to come with me right now. There's not much more time and there's only one way out of this building and and you have to follow me if you're going to find that way out. And the man starts to protest and he says, listen, I've worked in this building for 25 years. I know all the exits. I I, I think I can find my my own way out. But the firefighter says... Listen, there is only one way to safety. And if you don't follow me right now, you will likely die. 
And the point is that, that by insisting that the trap man, uh, by insisting to the trap man that there's only one way to safety and urging him to follow it, that's not narrow-minded. That's not cold-hearted. That, that's not about excluding people. It's not closed-minded. The firefighter in that moment, by insisting to this trap man that the following him is the only way to safety, is the most loving and most gracious thing that he could do. In this passage, Jesus is insisting that the, the way to salvation, the way to enter the kingdom of God is narrow, and it's a matter of, of eternal life and death. And it's actually the most loving and grace-filled thing that Jesus can say. Now, I don't need to tell you that we live in the most pluralistic society that has ever existed, broadly in the West. Our society is a melting pot of races and genders and philosophies and ideas and sexual orientations and cultures and religions. And so, of course, when, when the church says, as it always has done, by the way, this is not new, that Jesus is the only way, well, that message isn't exactly welcomed with open arms, is it? You, you've, you've probably come up against this kind of opposition. The church is seen as bigoted or old-fashioned or exclusive and intolerant. And I'm sure you've maybe even heard people say things to you, and they said to me, like, well, well, why do you believe there's only one way? Like, that doesn't seem very fair. What about other beliefs and other religions? How come you're right and they're wrong? But think about the firefighter in the story. He has the knowledge that there is only one safe passage out of that burning building. And his team are, are there, and they're keeping that way clear as long as they can. And he knows, that, uh, he knows that the rest of the doors are blocked and that time is short. He knows the only way out for this man to, to be uh, saved is to follow him. So tell me, in that moment, would it be intolerant of the firefighter to tell the trapped man that he should go uh, and, and pursue his own ways? Would that be the more loving thing to do? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go and find your own way out. Is it unloving and unkind for him to urge and plead with the man uh, to follow him along what he knows to be the only path to safety? I don't think anyone would argue in that story that, that, that he is being unloving or unfair. Everybody would agree, right? That if you know the only way to safety out of a burning building, then the only morally right thing to do is to urge the trapped person to follow the path to safety. And so this morning, in this passage, we're going to see that, that to enter the kingdom of God, we must pursue the narrow door because proximity to Jesus doesn't save us. And then we must proclaim this to our city. But firstly, we're going to see that we must pursue the narrow door Look at verses 22 to 24. I'm, I'm going to read them again as we go through. We can't ever read the scripture too much, so I'm just going to read them as we go through, and they'll be on the screen. Um, he, that's Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is final destination. That's where he knows he's going, when he's teaching as he goes along the way. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. See, in Jesus' time, there was a debate among the religious people. Um, uh, will those be, uh, you know, who will be saved? Will those who are saved be few? He's saying, how many people will be saved? And at the time, you see, there were, there were three main schools of thought about this. Um, some thought that it would be only ethnic Israelites who would be saved. Um, so the people who were physical descendants of Abraham. Then there were others who thought that it was only the religious Israelites, the people who, who, who kept the, the law and did a really good job of keeping the law. 
And then there was a, a kind of more non-traditional view, um, and they thought it would be Israel and then some Gentiles who had entered through faith. And so, as a teacher with a growing following, it's not surprising that somebody asked Jesus this question. It was kind of a hot topic to debate among the theology nerds of the day. And basically they're saying, listen, Jesus, at the end of everything, what do you think? How many people are going to be saved? Is it going to be many or is it going to be a few? And I love how Jesus handles their awkward question. You see, Jesus doesn't answer the question they ask. Jesus answers the question they should be asking. Because the question isn't really, how many people are going to be saved? The question is, how are we saved? In other words, the Lord Jesus is saying, you are focusing on the wrong things here. You're focusing on who will be saved. What ethnic groups? How many Israelites? But what you really should be focusing on is, are you saved? Will you be in that number, no matter how many it's going to be? See how he shifts their focus? They want to know how many people are going to be in this exclusive club. Do I get to be in the exclusive club? And listen, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter with compassion. And he says, listen, think about this. Are you saved? And we can be guilty of this same thing too, can't we? We can look at other denominations and church traditions and, and we can assess what they believe and, and say and do and, and we can question, are they really Christians? Are they saved? What about the church down the road? What about that group over there? What about the chapel around the corner? But here's what I'm going to say to you. These things are not for us to get caught up in. We're not to judge. We're not to, to question them. All I know is, and all I want to focus on is, that Jesus is the only way. And the more that message is proclaimed, the more people are brought to death, brought from death to life in Him. Jesus is the only way, and the more that message is proclaimed, the more people are brought from death to life. That should be our focus. It's not our judge, it's not our judge, it's not our job to judge who is really a Christian. And, and our job is to proclaim that Jesus is the only way and urge others to follow him. And so Jesus doesn't answer the question they ask. He answers the question they should be asking. And he says this, strive to enter through the narrow door. But wait a minute, Jesus. Isn't this terribly narrow-minded? Shouldn't you be a bit more open with the truth? It seems unloving that you're saying there's a narrow door. See, in a culture like ours where open-mindedness is a virtue, it's intolerant to hold to an absolute truth. Isn't it? We know this. We know this. I made a joke earlier. It's, it's intolerant of me to say we're having a men's weekend. But well, here's the thing, when it comes to life and death things, nobody actually wants open-mindedness, do we? When it, when it comes to like a matter of life and death, I don't want them there to be any uh, mistakes. So when I go in for heart surgery, not that I need heart surgery, I hope I don't. Lord, do I need heart surgery? I don't know. Um, you, you don't want the, the surgeon to, not to have a medical, medical degree in years of experience. Or, or you don't want her, when she has the scalpel in her hand, to have her own interpretation of I was going to say the laws of medicine. I don't know. The, the medical textbooks. I want her to know exactly what is going on and stick to the only way that's going to fix me. Or when you get on a flight, I don't want the engineer who built the plane to have his own interpretations of the laws of gravity and physics. I want him to, to, to stick to the rules so I don't fall out of the sky. When you're trapped in a burning building, you just want the firefighter to show you the way out. 
Jesus says there is only one way to enter the kingdom of God, and it's through the narrow door. Now, what does he mean that it's narrow? Well, Jesus is making a comment about the posture that we must have as we enter it, right? See, see, what we do is we take their question and we say, oh, it's only few? It's few because it's narrow. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is talking about the posture we have to have as we get through the door. It's not wide enough for us to come through with a big head blown up with pride. It's, it's narrow and we're going to have to take things off and leave things behind to follow him. The door is narrow and the only way to walk through it is in humility, leaving everything else behind. Um, I, I, I don't think I'm claustrophobic, but every now and again, uh, I'll see a video of, of cave explorers and then I do get very claustrophobic. So you'll see these, uh, these guys who they're exploring further and further and deeper and deeper into these caves and sometimes they'll come across like a wee narrow uh, opening, right? And maybe they have to crawl on their belly and it's only wide, deep enough for them. I saw one recently in the guy, he had to take off his rucksack. He had an oxygen thing that he had to take off and push it through in front of him. He had to take his helmet off. And it's just, it's just narrow enough for him just about to get through. This is what the narrow door is like. We can't fit through the narrow door if we are carrying all the things of life that we cling to. We can't come through carrying our pride or, or clinging on to our hope in money or fitness or health or career or anything else. The, the door is narrow. Like the caver, we, we have to take everything off that would prevent us from coming through. You might remember the story of the rich young man in, in Mark chapter 10. This is a guy, and he comes to Jesus, and he's young, and he's obviously been pretty successful in life. He might, he'd be a young professional in our day, right? And he comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and he says, Jesus, listen, I've obeyed the law really well, and, and I've done my best to be a good follower of God. And, and Jesus says, yes, you have. But you must sell all that you have and give to the poor. And Jesus isn't saying he should do this because it's impossible to, to have wealth and be a Christian, although he does make it clear that that's pretty hard. But this young man, this particular person, was clinging onto his wealth. That's where his heart was. That's where his treasure was. That's where his hope was. And Jesus says, you've got to leave that behind if you want to come into the kingdom. There's only one way to enter the kingdom of God, and it's through that narrow door. And that narrow door means that we need to approach in humility. It means we need to surrender everything, simply trusting in Jesus and, and giving up on everything else. Like the old hymn says, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Isn't this what Jesus has done for us? Jesus was stripped physically, yes, he was stripped as he was nailed to the cross, but he was also stripped of his glory. In fact, Philippians tells us that, that he took off his glory, he laid aside his glory, emptied himself, pursued us, pursued us to the point of death on a cross. And it's only through faith in him, the only way, the narrow door, that we can have eternal life. And so often we're trying to figure out the way into God's house and, and we're looking at this door and that door and we're trying to climb over the fence or knock holes in walls or see an open window that we can climb through or squeeze through. Or we come to the door and we're unwilling to put down our bags. And then we complain and grumble or get frustrated and disappointed because it's too hard or we don't like it. 
And we certainly don't want to let go of anything. God is just standing there beside the open door saying, come on in. The door is open. All are welcome. You just have to walk through it. So often, instead of entering through the door that is open to us, through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, we complain that it's not the entrance we like. And sometimes we even get so frustrated that we go to a different house altogether looking for satisfaction, looking for refuge, looking for salvation. And I would suggest that if you are feeling a lack of satisfaction as a Christian or a lack of fulfillment or even happiness, maybe you're, you're seeking those things in the wrong house. Sure, it seems inviting and, and you can do whatever you want in that house, but very quickly you'll realize that it won't satisfy. There's only one way into the kingdom of God and it's simply by trusting in Jesus. The narrow way is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. The Apostle Paul, he says uh, in, in Ephesians 2, verse 8. By the way, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, just memorize that passage. He says, for by grace you have been saved, not of works. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Jesus says there is one way. It's a narrow door. So strive to enter it. Hold on. There's another wait a minute, isn't there? Because if it is a gift, like I've been saying, if it's an open door that we just walk through, then why does Jesus say strive? What kind of gift do you have to strive for? Sorry. <laughs> just wrecking the joint. Well, this word strive that Jesus uses here, um, it's borrowed from the sporting world of the day. You see, this word would be used to describe somebody who was a contender or a competitor in the, in the public games of the day. So think of the early, the early Olympics, that kind of thing. This is the word for the athlete who pursues everything or pursues the prize with everything they have. They leave everything behind to reach the end of the race. The athlete who isn't distracted by anything along the way. They see the finish line, that's their goal, and they pursue it and they don't get distracted. They don't look for shortcuts. They don't look for rest along the way. They see it and they go for it. And Jesus is not saying that we strive to earn our salvation, rather that we strive and pursue the one true gospel, that Jesus is the only way, that we pursue this at all costs. We don't give up on this one gospel. We don't, we don't settle for anything less than Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the thing is, it can be so tempting to try and widen out the door, can't it? Especially when we have friends that we love that we want to know Jesus. We, we want to widen out the door, don't we? It's so easy to think, well, that, maybe that group offers me salvation and I, I don't have to give up on my pride or repent of my sin. Or this church tradition offers me salvation and I don't have to be humble or let go of other things that I look to for salvation. But Jesus says, no, there is one way, and it's the narrow way that requires us to come in humility by trusting in him alone. And we are to be like that athlete. He puts that fixed point in the horizon. Jesus is the only way, and we pursue it with everything we have. Now, listen, I'll be honest with you guys. I get nervous every time I use an analogy you're going to laugh at, but here we go. 
I see this kind of focus determination all the time in cycling races, okay? There, I said it. It's out there. See, often you'll have um, a group of over 100 riders tightly packed together, traveling at speeds of 50, 60, 70 kilometers an hour, maybe more if they're going downhill. And, and they're, all they're wearing is like a really millimeter thick, less than a millimeter thick layer of lycra. And so when they crash, and crashes happen all the time, they get beat up. Their skin gets scraped off as they skid along the road. They get cuts on their faces and their arms. They break fingers. They break elbows. They break arms. Dislocated joints. And you can imagine if you've had a, a crash like that and your skin is all scraped off, the temptation would be to get in the car. You see, the team car's there. And in the, in the car, you know that you can rest. You know that they have food. You know it's warm. And the temptation is to jump in the car, right? But if you get in the car, if you accept the immediate rest that is on offer in the car, you won't finish the race. That's not the way to glory, is it? There's only one way to reach the end of the race. You can't turn up sitting in the back of the team car, having a sandwich and expect to win a prize. We can't give up on the, the gospel. We can't give up on the, 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 the fact that Jesus is the only way. We can't give up on that and expect to finish the race. There's only one way to enter the kingdom, and that is by humbly trusting in Jesus. And, and one more thing about this before we move on, actually. The word here for strive um, that Jesus uses, I said it's from the, the, the sporting world, right? It's actually where we get the word agony from. Agonismai, right? It's a Greek word that literally means agony. It means to struggle. It means it's going to hurt like the rider in the bike race that crashes. And it struck me this week that, that some of us are really struggling in our faith. I dare to say a lot of us. And if, it, it, maybe you're, you're wondering if Jesus is the only way. You're doubting if what he has said is true. You're questioning what he has said. If this is the only way, then why is it so hard? And when we're struggling in our faith, it's easy to listen to the lies of the devil and want to give up. It's easy to see the nice warm car pull up and want to get in and sit down. But here's what I would say to this. If you are struggling in your faith, it feels like agony. If it feels like doubt is overwhelming, if you're thinking, what is the point? Then you are doing exactly what Jesus says you should do. You're contending for the gospel. We are to agonize over it. We are to strive for it with all that we have. If you are agonizing over your salvation, if you're agonizing in your faith, then keep going. <laughs> Don't give up. Be encouraged. Don't give in to the temptation of, of giving up on Jesus. Because by following Jesus and putting your hope only in him, you will reach the finish line. I'm sure you might reach, reach the finish line with all your skin hanging off because you've had a few crashes. You're going to reach the finish line. See, sometimes, because in our church we, we, we know that there is nothing we bring to our salvation, we shy away from all the teachings of the Bible that tell us that we have to do something, right? We want to say, I don't have to do anything. But, but, but actually, these things are not in contradiction. Jesus says, strive, agonize to enter the narrow door. Paul says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. James says that faith without works is dead. 
And these things are not a contradiction to the gospel of grace. Let me explain. See, see the guy trapped in the building, remember him we started with? You can imagine he's in there and he's rapidly losing hope. It's dark. He's being overcome by the, uh, the smoke. The walls are collapsing in and around him. And then out of the gloom, when he sees that firefighter appear and he tells him to follow him uh, along the only path to safety, do you not think that he would, in that moment, do everything he could to make sure that he doesn't lose touch with that firefighter? He has done nothing to save himself. He's just been lost in a burning building. But the firefighter has entered the flames, has walked into the fire and sought him and found him and said, follow me. And so, of course, that man, trusting in him, will do everything he can to follow him all the way out. I'm not going to lose touch to the one who's leading me out. You see how that works? And so if you are struggling in your faith, I urge you to just... Keep following the one who has entered the fire for you, has sought you and found you and told you to follow him. He is the only way, so keep going. And that leads us on to our second point, which is this. We got a long way to go, so might have to pick up the pace a wee bit here. Um, the second point is this. Proximity doesn't save you. Proximity doesn't save you. Um, let me read verses 25 to 30. Just to refresh in our minds. Uh, when once Jesus continues, he says, I am 24, strive to enter the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin uh, to stand outside and to knock the door, saying, Lord, open to us, and he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And you will begin to say, But we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do, do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Now Jesus is saying, firstly, that the door won't stay open forever. It's a narrow door. but It's open for everyone who wants to come in but it won't stay open forever. There will come a time when Jesus says, when the narrow door entering into God's kingdom will be closed. You see why theologians have called this a hard saying of Jesus? Because to our earthly minds, this seems unfair, doesn't it? How can it be fair that God would, wouldn't just let the door stay open forever? Well, think of it this way. It's God's house, he sets the terms of who enters. If I invite you over to, for dinner, right, and I say, come on over and enjoy my hospitality, you don't have to bring anything, you don't have to pay for anything, you don't even have to bring a dessert, right? You can just come and relax and eat and drink and enjoy. Probably the first question you would ask me would be, when and what time? What time? You see, you would understand that there is an appointed time that you can come into my house, I'm going to welcome you if you come at that time. But if you don't come when we arrange, and you turn up at 3 o'clock in the morning and start banging the door saying, give me my dinner. Well, no offense, I'm probably going to tell you to clear off and let me go back to sleep. So it is with Jesus. He is welcoming. But there is an appointed time. But also, look at the attitude of those who are banging on the door. 
Jesus says in, in verse 28 that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's sadness, yes, sadness of realizing that they have missed entry into the kingdom of God. But there's also gnashing of teeth. Now, gnashing of teeth is an expression of rage, shouting through clenched teeth. You see, see the people who reject Jesus will always reject Jesus. The people who finally reject Jesus will, will always reject Jesus. And in his mercy toward us, God isn't going to force anyone to come into his kingdom. If I forced you to come over to my house for dinner, that's just called imprisonment or kidnap, right? If I'm saying, come on in, and you're like, no, I don't want to come in. Well, I'm not going to force you. You see why it's not fair or why it's not unfair for God to, to close the door? The door won't stay open forever. And that means that the time to enter it is now. We don't know when the door will close. We don't know when the next wall will collapse and the weight of safety out of the burning building will be blocked forever. So firstly, if you have never trusted in Jesus, I urge you to trust him now. Come to him, lay down your burdens, let him take you to safety because you never know when that door will be closed. If you are still on the outside, if you haven't walked through, then walk through today. Jesus is saying the door is open, come. Then Jesus says that those who come too late will plead with him, saying, but Jesus, we, we know you. Like, we, we, we had dinner with you. We heard you preach. But Jesus' warning is very clear. Proximity doesn't save us. See, we can be close to Jesus. We can be in the church. We can be around Christians. We can know the Bible. We can be as religious as anybody, but without humbly trusting in him, we won't be saved. And this is a mistake that a lot of us make. We try to be good. We try to be religious. We, we try to read the Bible more. We try to pray more. We try to change our attitudes and our behaviors. We try to have more faith. We try to be good Christians. But you guys will know by now that this is a theme that Jesus talks about over and over and over again in his ministry. That the religious ones think that they have it all figured out. They think that because they keep the law, because they are tied their money, then of course God will let them in. Religion says, I have done my part, so God has no choice but to accept me. The opposite of the gospel. The gospel says, I have failed at my part, but in his love and grace, God chooses to accept me. The gospel says that the door to the kingdom of God is open to all who believe, all who leave everything behind to enter including how religious or good living we think we are. Proximity to Jesus. Proximity to the church will not save anybody. Proximity to Christian things doesn't get us into the kingdom. It's belonging to Jesus that saves us, not proximity to Christians. And then, yes, of course, our, our behaviors and attitudes will change. When we belong to Jesus, of course, actions will follow. When we believe that that firefighter knows the way out and we decide to follow him, then of course we will start to follow him. You see how this works? Obeying Jesus follows belonging to Jesus. Entry into the kingdom is based on Jesus' work, him calling us from death to life. And then our acceptance of him and his teachings come after that. The man in the burden building, he cannot find a way out on his own. To try would most likely lead to his death. 
But when the firefighter seeks him and finds him, then and only then can he follow him to safety. So it is with all of us. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves, and this is a hard saying of Jesus, and I'm the one that has to deliver it today, and because I love you. The question is, do you know Jesus, or do you just know of him? Do you belong to Jesus, or are you just in proximity to him? And maybe you're struggling with this. Listen, I don't, this is a message of grace, and here's why. Because some of us, a lot of us are perhaps are struggling with this, and we say, well, well how do I know if I know him? Or how, how do I, how can I belong to him? Well, here's the answer. And, and this is for every single person in this room, me included. You simply repent and believe. Right? By the way, this is not something we do once in our lifetimes. If you're a Christian, you do this every single day. If you're, if you're like me, you need to do this multiple times a day. You simply say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am lost without you. I recognize my need for salvation. I, I'm giving up on all the other things I hold on to to find salvation or satisfaction or fulfillment. I've reached the end of my tether. I realize that I have nothing to give. I've tried and tried and I have nothing left. So Lord Jesus, I'm just gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you and follow you because I know you're the only way. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. That's what it means to repent and believe. That's how you know you belong to Jesus and aren't just close to him. You simply throw yourself. Rather, you simply fall onto him. Listen, my time is running out, but I want to I wanna point out one more thing in this section before we move on. Look at verses 29 to 30. Um, Jesus just said, you know, maybe some of these religious people will be outside. And then he says, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. You see the grace in this? People will come from all over. When Jesus says east and west and north and south, he's not talking about locations. He's talking about how far west can you go? If I keep going west, I'm going to get back to here. If I go east, I'm going to get back to here. Same with north and south. That's what Jesus is talking about. As far from east and west, from all over, from every race, from every nation, from all walks of life. And look what they're going to do. They're going to recline at the table in the kingdom of God. The weak and the needy, the poor and the lowly, the doubtful, <laughs> the sinful. The way is open to all. And the ones that we think of as last, I have no worth. I, I, I'm not a very good Christian. The ones we think of as last, they will be first. The ones who are dishonored will be honored. The door is narrow. It's not going to be open forever, but it is a door of grace. It's an invitation that is open to everybody. Nobody is excluded from the invitation. So to enter the kingdom of God, we must pursue the narrow door because proximity doesn't save us. Finally then, I want to finish with this. In our last few minutes, we must proclaim to our city. I've managed to do the rarest of things, Three Ps in a sermon. Come on. I was really proud of myself on Friday afternoon for that. So we must proclaim to our city. Um, let me read this last section 
at that very hour, so they're still having this conversation, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox. I love that. I don't know if Jesus said it with that tone. Um, I'll explain this fox before I continue reading. Uh, the fox is a symbol of uh, slyness and cunning, yeah? But also, in that culture, the fox was a, a symbol of someone who thought they were a lion, but they were probably just a cute little fox, you see? So, so they probably thought they had lots of power, big and strong and mighty, but in reality, they were just like a tiny wee dog, tiny wee puppy, tiny wee fox. That's what Jesus is saying here. He thinks he has the power, but really he doesn't know what's going on. So Jesus continues, verse 32, um, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are, are, are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You might recognize that last sentence, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when we get to Palm Sunday in a few weeks, we're going to see the people of Jerusalem saying the same thing. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is saying, my plans are happening. Just wait till you see it's going to happen. Now, if you knew me, if you knew me closely, <laughs> you'll know that I hate being interrupted. <laughs> I, hate, I, I, I struggle. It's something in me, I struggle with interruptions. If I'm working away or doing something, I'm kind of like, leave me alone, let me just get it done. Imagine being Jesus, interrupted all the time. Good thing he's Jesus, right? You had all the patience of Jesus. <laughs> the Pharisees come and they interrupt him again. And the Pharisees were the most religious people of the, of, the, of the day. We think of them as like the pantomime villains, the bad guys. But actually, they probably would have been people a bit like me, maybe, or, or maybe someone who's a, a, a Bible scholar or something like that. But they are Jesus' strongest opponents. And they come to Jesus, and it seems that they are, are, are you know, coming in favor. They're giving him a genuine warning. They say, Jesus, you know, King Herod, he's out looking for you. And he wants to kill you, so you better get out of here. Of course, they have ulterior motives. Seems unlikely that Herod would be out to kill Jesus because he was still in hot water after having killed John the Baptist not long before this. But Herod has jurisdiction up in the north towards Galilee. And they're trying to get Jesus to move further south into Judea towards Jerusalem, where, of course, they and their temple police have authority and would have then freedom to do whatever they want to Jesus, to kill him. And I love how Jesus cannot be rushed. His plans will happen in his timing, not under intimidation from Pharisees or kings. And he's already on his way to Jerusalem. Isn't that how Luke started this section? He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. His face is set. He knows the plans he has. And he says, don't you worry, lads. I don't know if he said that. I can imagine him saying that. Don't worry, guys. I'm coming to you. You don't even need to try and get me to trick me to come to you. You're going to get your chance. I am fully intending on coming to Jerusalem to die at your hands because it's my plan, not your plan. This is the Father's plan. It's not your plan. 
And then as the Lord Jesus thinks about Jerusalem, he goes into this lament over the city. This is the city that was once the dwelling place of God in the temple, right? And yet now, this is the city that rejects God's salvation. What does Jesus say? He says, behold, your house is forsaken. He says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus laments. He laments because this city, the city he loves, the city that he would later weep over when he sees her, rejected God. Church, we live in a city that rejects God. Most people we're surrounded by in our work, in our streets, maybe even in our homes, they don't see their need of Jesus, nor do they want him. They're finding comfort and satisfaction and looking for salvation in a plethora of other things, right? And the knowledge that the door won't stay open forever should, should motivate us to go to the friends and the family members and colleagues and neighbors, urgently telling them that the door is open and they are welcome to come in and urging them to enter. For those of us who are in Jesus, this passage should, should cause us to tell this message to anyone and everyone who will listen. It's our job, while there is still time, to proclaim the one way, to proclaim the grace of Jesus, to warn them of the danger they are in. While there is still time, while the door is still open, we, we must be telling people. We must invite them into the open arms of Jesus. People are tired. People are, people are fed up. People are looking for hope and salvation in all kinds of things. And we can point them to the only way to safety, right? Not because... We have done anything ourselves to find a way out, but because we have been found. While there is still time, while the door is still open, let's pursue our city. Let's proclaim to our city. City that the door hasn't closed on yet. The door is still open. Now is the day of salvation. So let's do this. Let's, church, let's strive to enter this narrow door. Let's not settle for proximity to Jesus and let's proclaim the grace that we have found in Jesus to this city. I'm going to pray for us now. Um, and then I'll say this now, uh, while we're taking communion just after we pray, um, that there will be people available to pray with you just on the front here um, and on this side. Um, and if you are someone who's struggling in your faith, you're someone who has never believed and you're, you're thinking, I, I don't know what to do with this. Maybe it's something else in your life. Then, then come and I'll, I'll allow them to pray with you. Um, it can be, it's quiet, it's confidential, all that kind of stuff. Just come and, come and, come and pray. If you feel God stirring something, don't, don't let pride or embarrassment or whatever prevent you from dealing with these things today because the door won't be open forever. Um, and Jesus loves you. So let me pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I want to thank you that as we study these hard sayings of Jesus, it makes us see that you love us enough to tell us the truth, that you love us enough to tell us of the way to safety. Uh, Father, thank you that you haven't just abandoned us. Thank you that you have made a way. Thank you that we can be free. We can have life. We can have eternal life. Lord, I pray that 
all of us in this room would, would strive for, to enter that narrow door, that we would not give up on the, the true gospel, that Jesus is the only way. Lord, I, I pray that our, our song would be, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Lord Jesus, you are so good. You have made a way. Lord, I pray that as we struggle and are tempted to give up, are tempted to find rest and hope in other things, Lord, that you would give us the strength and endurance to, to continue on. Lord, help us to proclaim this to our friends and family as well. Lord, the door is still open and we thank you for that. And as we come to your table now, Lord, and remember how you have opened that door, how you have made the narrow door, uh, Lord, I pray that you would meet with us again, especially those of us here, maybe just clinging on by not even our fingertips, but maybe just feels like we're clinging on by the very ends of our fingertips. Lord, would you uh, show us today that you walked into the flames for us, that your body was broken for us, that your blood was shed for us. You have found us. You hold us. Lord, give us the strength today to carry on. Encourage us. We thank you, Lord the sacrifice of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Church, we are going to come to the table as we do every Sunday. Uh, we come and, and celebrate the embodiment of this narrow way. Uh, the way that this door was opened was through the sacrifice of Jesus that I've